this is chapter 14 of John, um, and let's start with prayer. God, we just are just thrilled to be here, and we pray that you will encourage others to come, to overcome their fears, to not let their hearts be troubled, to come in and, and join in a Bible study or back to church or back to fellowship. So we are thankful for this time, Almighty God. Speak to us through your word, to your glory. Amen. So last week, we left the disciples pretty upset. I mean, they, they just had confused, I guess is a better word. They just had the triumphal entry, but Jesus is talking about his impending death. This isn't what, how it's supposed to go. The Messiah is supposed to come and free us from Roman occupation and, and just set up the kingdom, and it's going to be all, you know, honky-dory. Um, Judas certainly thought it was going to be that. But then Jesus keeps talking about his death, and soon the Son of God will be glorified, and they're just scratching their heads, very puzzled. So Jesus says to them, and he says it twice in our chapter here today, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't you just want to say this to people today? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Um, you know, you ask someone how they're doing, it's like the, the, the canned response, I'm fine, we're good, life's good, and then you get to them and say, what's really going on? How are you really doing? Sit down, tell me what's really going on. And then it's just... Everyone, no one is excluded from not having issues in their life. Um, but he's telling us not to be troubled. Um, believe in God, believe also in me. The, that verse is basically what we need to do, but it's easier said than done. He is telling them not to get stirred up. It's a commandment. He's saying, stop doing this. Stop letting your hearts get troubled and do this. Believe in me. So he's, he's wanting them to shift gears, to change their focus. Don't think about all the craziness that's out there. Don't be troubled by the things I'm telling you. Don't overthink it. How many of you overthink? You don't have to raise your hand. No, it's okay. <laughs> Two hands went up here. Okay, we really overthink. Um, analyzing every and we don't we don't do that don't to stir to shake up because when we start overthinking stuff we're stirring the pot we're stirring the pot don't do that do not let your hearts be troubled do not stir it up um it's it's severe mental or spiritual agitation when we start looking at all the things that are going on out there stop doing that he's a compassionate savior What's going on in his heart? We already know he's troubled by what's about to happen. The cross is hours away here. And yet he's taking the time out as a compassionate savior to attend to his flock, to attend to these men that are in a few hours. It's just like the, the, it's going to be like the end of the world to them. They're going to be scattered. They're going to be fearful. So he's trying to get them together now to say, do not be troubled. Do not get all stirred up about this. And he's commanding them not to be troubled. He's commanding them to believe in God. And these are Jewish men. They all believed in God, Old Testament God. But he also says, believe also in me. This is Christianity. A lot of people believe in God, right? 
But believe also in me, believe also in Jesus Christ, Son of God. That's Christianity. And when he says to have them believe in him, you believe accepting something as truth, fact. I believed when I walked up here that this floor was going to hold me up. That's fact. I believed it. If I didn't believe it, I would not be up here, (laughs) right? So, so much of the stuff we do, we believe and we act and we behave and stuff like that, but how much of it do we really slow down and say, I believe God and I believe Jesus Christ has got me in the palm of his hand and I believe he's got me to the, throughout eternity and I'm going to live my life. We can't. We got, we're bombarded by the news, the television, by circumstances, by prices, by economy, by health. We're bombarded by stuff, and it, and it tips us over. It tips us off guard. We refocus on, on this. We're, we're doing good. We're focused on God and everything, and then boom, this, oh, shoot, I'm thinking about, oh, my gosh, my husband lost his job or something or this or that or whatever. Boom, we're focused. Do not let your hearts get troubled. Believe in God. Focused on him. Redirect yourself. Refocus on God and on Jesus Christ. Could they believe in him? Could this group of men believe in Jesus? They believe the Old Testament. But were Christ's words, what he was saying, are they the words of God? They weren't written down yet for them. Could they really believe in what Jesus was saying about himself, about what was going on? They were, having a, they were struggling with that. He goes on to say, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. What's he talking about? Paradise, heaven. He's saying to them, this is just a temporary thing here. Temporary separation. Where I'm going to go... I'm going, to, I'm going to fix up a place for you. That's where I'm going. He's talking about heaven. He's going to go to heaven, to glory, to be with the Father's house. And, and heaven is talked about as a country because of its vastness, as a city, because of the number of inhabitants, the kingdom, because God's going to be king. Heaven is referred to as paradise, a beautiful place of rest, free of worry, of conflict, dwelling places he's talking to a bunch of jewish men and in that culture the father would have his son go and add on a room if he was about to get married and engaged betrothed to somebody before they got married that son would add on an apartment or add on a a living space to the father's house so these you know you go there and there's like rows of houses there and so Once that was finished and that father does an inspection and looks at what's going on, okay, you can go and bring your bride home. And so he's doing that for us. It's not a literal room, but it is a dwelling with God. They understood that. They understood that if a groom was going to build a home for his bride-to-be, he was going to come and get her and bring her back. A promise of the rapture, a dwelling place with God, uh, building additional rooms onto the family home, that's intimacy. That's intimacy. That's family. That's together. 
And if he goes, he's going to come back and take us there. So more things to boggle their minds. He goes on to say, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we, how can we know the way? Here we go, scratching our head again. He tells him he's going someplace and they can't follow him right now, but, but you know the way. And it's like, what do you mean we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is, again, refocus. Don't think about the way, how you're going to get there. Don't think about the directions. Don't think about the destiny. I'm going to go, and I just told you, I'm going to come back and take you there. Don't worry about it. You stay right here. I'm going to go, and I'll be back for you. But we need to know the way. We need to know where you're going. Wait, wait, wait. You need to go. What do you know? No, 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 no. You don't. All you need to know is I'll be back, and I'm going to take you where you need to go. Redirect on him. I am the way. I'm the way there. Believe in that. Refocus. Don't worry about how you're going to get there because you know what? We can't get there on our own. The only way we can get to glory, to the Father's house, to be reunited with God is through Jesus Christ. Only Jesus is the way to God because only he is the truth about God and only he possesses the life of God. The way, the truth, and the life. Refocus on him. Here's your great I am statement. Focus on him. There's a lot of lies out there. Postmodernism came up with many paths to religious truth. There's many paths that lead to God, many paths. Christianity is just one of them. We've got a bumper sticker that even says that, right? Today, progressive thinking is you don't need to have a path to God. We are God. We're God. (laughs) I laugh at that too. If I'm God, we're in trouble, right? (laughs) But Jesus is telling him he is the only way through him. Believe in him. Believe in him. Believe in what about him. Verses 7 to 11 gets into believing that Christ is who he says he is. These people, these men were troubled because they had a preconceived idea about the Messiah. Preconceived. He was supposed to do all this. This is what we were looking for in a Messiah. And yet Jesus is talking about dying and now he's leaving and then he's going to come back. What's going on? They're confused. Verse 7 says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Oh, man. Philip's like, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. Very confused, this preconceived idea that when Messiah was going to come in and, and all these messianic expectations they had. Real faith, real faith is abandoning our self-will, even some of our preconceived ideas of things. Real faith is yielding our will to his Real faith is believing as truth what God says in his book. And lots of times it doesn't make sense when his book says he'll never leave us or abandon us and he will not let his children go hungry and 
we just look at the checkbook or in dire straits or what's going on or fearful of the world's food source or you name it out there or fam whatever and yet he will take care of us that's real faith almost going beyond what our senses are telling us believing and when we believe and accept it as true we're going to behave on that we're going to live make decisions based on that so they're they're just having a hard time with this but jesus in verse 9 points them back redirects refocus don't think about what the father is what he looks like whatever just just he said to him have i been with you so long and you still do not know me philip that just the phrasing of that is such a almost a heartbreak for christ almost i've been with you for so long and you still do not know me philip an intimate almost a heartbreak on christ that they're just still not quite getting it um but he points them back to the truth and the truth is he is god incarnate remember he came he dwells among us he is god incarnate whoever has seen me has seen the father how can you say show us the father do you not believe that i am the father and the father is in me the words that i say to you i do not speak on my own authority but the father who dwells in me does his work believe in me that i am the father and the father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves believe accept as true when i say when you've seen me you've seen the father period end of the argument but no our our minds go well a, a son and a father and what there've got to be two different things do you see how it can get confusing and do you see how we need to as christians open up think outside the box on things think the mind it's not even a feeling you can't go on feel oh, this doesn't feel right whatever i mean that's just a little monitor we keep you know we can kind of tell us things but we always bring the feelings back check in with the mind the mind's on top of the heart here to protect it jesus is pointing him back to he is god incarnate he's claiming full deity he is the way to god because why he is god right he's the way to god because he is god he's not merely a manifestation of god he is god manifested he's not a hologram of god he's god think in think about the words philip think about the things that i've said i've spoken not on my own initiative but through the abiding power of the father and people would say these 3 years of his public ministry they would say wow his what he says is amazing his teachings as are as one having authority he was teaching beyond anything they had heard before from all the rabbis and stuff this was just wow sitting on the edge of their seats absorbing what he's saying believe the words who else teaches like that this is god the father is in me we're one and if you can't believe the words then at least believe the works did they forget about 5000 people being fed Did they forget about the storms and the calming of the sea? Did they forget about raising Lazarus from the dead? At least look at that. Who else does it? You see how we just when we can get easily sidetracked, we're not thinking about it, we're not thinking about it and we're over here. It's like oh, like Carol this morning with me. She's so sweet. 
don't tell her. Well, you can tell I'm going to use that. But, you know, we rehearsed the microphone and do this. But she got up here, she got anxious. And she forgot about that. She's talking like this. But she had to be reminded that we rehearsed the microphone. And then she did a beautiful job. Didn't she do a beautiful job? This is the same. I'll have to tell her she was my illustration today. <laughs> so like that. This is the same with us. We get a little anxious. And it's like, oh, we forget. We don't think. The blood leaves our brains. And they go into our extremities, fight or flight, right? And so do not be troubled. Calm yourself down so the blood can go back to your brain so we can think logically again. He's refocusing them back on the things that he's done, the things that he said, reminding them of these things. Truly, truly, I say to you in verse 12, whoever believes in me as truth will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father and whatever you ask in my name, this is what I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Tied it into, he just talked about his works that he's going to do. If you guys believe in me, if you believe in Christ, if you believe the things he's been telling you, you're going to do even greater works than that. So they're believing in who he is. They're also believing in the power of who he is. The promises that he has. It's not going to be greater works like, you know, raising people from the dead. It's going to be an extended work. A greater work in extendance and abundance. Jesus never preached outside of of Palestine they would spread the gospel worldwide. They had Roman roads that were about to happen in in Paul's time through Acts. And those Roman roads, they were an amazing thing to carry those chariots on. But you know what? They were made to carry the gospel on, those Roman roads. They were going to spread the gospel worldwide. And Jesus would continue to supply their needs just like he did while he was with them giving them food to eat, giving them shelter, keeping them safe, taking care of them. All they needed to do was to acknowledge they needed their need and that God was the source of the need, the the solution of the need, um, the answer to the need, and give him the glory. He was one with the Father. Because of that, he can ask the Father for things and the father would give him things. Verse 15. You know that paragraphs aren't divinely done, right? Punctuations and paragraphs aren't divinely done. And this is just my idea here, but I would have put 15 up in this last thought. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Those two things go together, girls. They have to go together. God isn't a vending machine. We love God. We're united to God. We're one with God. He's not some kind of magical thing that, you know, if we ask him something, you know, he's going to do it. Just, you know, do it. Last week we talked about washing feet and... Um, they're like, oh, wash all of me, wash all of me. No, only if you're clean, you only need your feet washed. So being obedient, 
having our, our striving after being holy because he is holy, abiding by what he has let us know he wants us to do, that keeps a strong, healthy connection to God. And when we have a strong, healthy connection to God, we're doing his will. We're doing the same work that he wants us to do, just like Jesus was doing the same work as the Father. The Father was telling him what to do. And therefore, when Jesus asks the Father for something, the Father will give it to him. Same thing works for us. We are obedient to God. We're working with God. We're one with God. We're united to God. We're yoked up with God. And so when we need something to do, the work that he's called us to do, he's going to give it to us. But if we're not working in obedience to him, if we're off on some self-centered thing, Oh, he called me to the mission field. I know he did, but he didn't. You can't expect that stuff. Magically, he's going to give you everything you need. He is the le- he, we are obediently following him, living in harmony with him. You cannot, it's impossible, to please God without being empowered by God's Holy Spirit. We cannot live a holy life without the power of God. And this is what he gets into next by this. To be a truly saved person... Truly, inevitably, we will have a, a life that responds of being submissive and in service to God. That's the outcome of it. Luke 6.46 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Jesus demanded, and do not do what I say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? Why do you think you have a relationship with me? Lord, Lord of your life. And you do not do what I say. Next verse away with me, away from me. First John 2, 3 to 5 says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in me, in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. I think we're talking about abiding in him next week, right? Chapter 15. So there's a harmony there. There's a unity there. Therefore, when we ask him for something, it's going to be according to his will, isn't it? and he will give it to us. We are new creatures in Christ when we become Christians. Our hearts are regenerated. Our minds are renewed. When we're in Christ, we're one with him. His spirit indwells us. His spirit indwells in us. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is the will of God? We think about it. We discern it. God's spirit indwells us. Our minds are being renewed. We're taking everything captive to God, every thought that we have. Is this the way you want me to go with this, God? Then he will respond. He will lead you. He will supply your needs. This is in harmony with it. It's together. Obedience is harmony with what's going on, believing in God, believing in it, believing in this floor is going to hold me, I'm going to stand on it. Believing God is, is going to supply my every need, I'm going to live that way, not in fear, not in doubt, not with anxiety. Our minds are renewed. Our behavior, our outwardly, our behavior outwardly reflects who we are on the inside. There's that wonderful book written, based on Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. 
As we think in our heart, that's how we're going to be out there. What's going on inside, what we're believing, that's the behavior that we're going to have. Um, And it's going to be a, a behavior of obedience. All right, let's carry on here. Jesus is comforting them. He's wanting them to to believe in him, believe in what he's saying. He wants them to know that it's a temporary separation. He'll be back. He wants them to know what the future is going to be. He wants them to know that they are connected to not only him, but to the Father and to the Spirit. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. The rapture again. I'm going to come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Oh my gosh, what on earth is he talking about with that? How does that work? In, in, in. He's going to send the helper. Spirit of truth. To help us understand these concepts. In a few hours, Jesus was going to meet his death. But even that death was temporary. But through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, believers are united with Christ. And nothing can separate us from him. Because he died is not the end of their relationship is what he's trying to tell them. Their union cannot be dissolved. Believers are in Christ, and Christ is in believers, and they're one. Right now, we're in a Bible study. We're in Bristol Community Bible Study, right? All of us here are in this Bible study. When we leave and go to our homes, we're still in a Bible study. We're not physically in the Bible study, but we belong to a Bible study. We are positioned in a Bible study. Our names are on Janie's little thing out there. We're in a Bible study, right? It's the same idea as that. We're in Christ. We are positioned in Christ. In Colossians 1, it talks about um, that he, you know, took us from the dominion of darkness and picked us up out of that and put us in the kingdom of the Son he loved. That's a positioning Are we living now in the eternal kingdom? No, but we are in the kingdom. We are names in that book. So that's the inness here. That's the togetherness here. We're with the Father, the Son. The Son is with us. And he's also saying that we're going to be with the Father. And only those who obey his commandments enter into this union with Christ. Obedience is not the cause of salvation, but it's the result of it. We don't become saved because we're holy and obedient. It's the other way around. We are obedient because we're saved. It's who we are inside. The love of Christ and the love of the Father indwells us and we're in them. Jesus is not going to make himself known to people who reject him. Just like the Holy Spirit here, he says, they're not going to know the Spirit. They're not going to know the Father because they have rejected it. But love and obedience, belief and love and obedience are all tied together here. And then there's a connection, a oneness with the, the spirit of truth in verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. He's there. 
But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. That's really comforting that we don't have to use sticky notes all the time on that one, isn't it? The Spirit of Truth. Throughout the ministry here with these disciples, the three years that Jesus was with them, Jesus himself was the source of all the truth that was there. Now he's telling them that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, was going to continue to instruct them. And instruction is for the mind. Jesus is promising the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, to instruct their minds, to give them the truth. The Spirit is like our in-home teacher. Our spirit is like the resident teacher that lives within us, illuminating God's word to understand. That's why all you girls can pick up this word of God and know what it says. It's no secret. You don't have to go through the Pope or anybody. He speaks to us, the spirit of truth, helping us understand. Now, the result of all Christ's comfort of him telling them these things of the the result of us believing in him is his peace and ladies man i don't have any gentlemen here today ladies it's like um oh i got one no those are both girls yeah ladies um that verse there we could do could write a book on it peace i leave with you my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Again, he tells them, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't get stirred up. Don't overthink. Don't focus on that negative stuff. Neither let them be afraid. That's a commandment. It's a commandment not to be afraid. We've talked about this before. 365 verses in the Bible. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not be anxious. So we can't buy, oh, I'm afraid. I can't, I don't, I don't need to, I can't go there. I'm afraid. No, you're, that's outright obedience. That's outright disobedience, sin. We can't be proud of that. Can't be proud of that. He tells us not to be afraid, not to be troubled by this stuff. He gives us his peace. It's a supernatural peace, and it's, it comes from, it's a blessing that flows from a right relationship with God. True peace is much more than the absence of conflict. In the world, we can say, oh, our country's at peace right now because we're not fighting any wars. That's not what he's talking about here. A supernatural, true peace, Luke eleven twenty three. Whoever is not with me, is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters with me. So basically, true peace only has to do with a right relationship with God. If there is no peace with God, then there cannot be any real peace in your life. Since Adam and Eve, back in the garden, the human race has been at war with God. We were born at war with God. All have violated his holy law. All deny him glory. We can dug through verses before about all that in Romans and stuff. Humanity hates God. All who are part of the world system cannot be at peace with him. Friendship with the world is hostility toward God, James 4.4. 4. It's very clear in God's word. Don't say, well, some people can't be get along with No, you can't. If you don't 
believe in Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, you do not have peace with God. Not this peace, not this supernatural peace. The good news, though, is that the enemies of God are reconciled to him to enjoy eternal peace with him. Colossians 1.20, through Christ, God reconciles himself all th- to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Christians, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So the experience of love, experiential peace is essential part of the Christian life. They are going to know, the world is going to know that we're Christians because we've got peace. And we're not jumping in the frying pan. Real peace. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Those are things we experience. This peace manifests itself in a tranquility, in harmony with other believers, because if I've got peace and you have peace, we're living at peace. So Jesus is the source of this peace. He says, I leave you my peace. The same peace that brought him to hang on that cross. The same peace that he had when he was being spit upon and mocked and and all the things that happened to him, scorned and, and hated. The same peace. Boy, don't we get agitated when someone doesn't like us? It just gets a knot in your side. That happened this week. Someone, it happens all the time to me, but it's like, oh man, ooh. Okay, just breathe, Molly, just breathe. Don't let your heart be troubled, just breathe. Um, God is the source of peace. It's his peace that he's giving. Christ's peace is the same peace that he has, he's giving to us. It's unaffected by what's going on in the world. God's peace, unaffected by what's going on in the world. In contrast... The peace that is found in the world is inadequate. Isaiah 48:22 says, "There is no peace for the wicked." But Jesus also tells them that it's just not going to happen this peace. It's not going to be like we're going to walk around like, "Oh, everything's good. We have to pursue peace. We are responsible to appropriate God's promises. It's up to that us to make use of God's promises. So if He gives us peace. It's there, but we have to put it to use. Love, joy, peace. What is that in the list of? Through the Spirit. It's, his peace is in every single one of us. But it's not just going to pop up when we need it. We have got to do what he's talking about in here. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't overthink. Don't think about all that negative stuff. Take a deep breath. Focus on God. Focus on Jesus. Focus on his promises. Get your sights on him. Clear out any unrepentant sin in your life. Clean yourself up like that and think about him. And doesn't that just, isn't that calming? I bet you every single one of you in here has had experienced that before. Spending time with God and letting his peace come over us. Letting his peace manifest itself in our lives. 
And that's done through the power of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit indwells us and peace is an attribute, a characteristic of, of the Holy Spirit of God. Love, joy, peace. Peace. Well, Joyce, I'll do this one for you. Philippians 4, 6 to 9. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayers and supplications, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard our heart and our soul in Jesus, our hearts and our mind in Jesus Christ. So, let the peace of God rule in your heart. How do, we, how do we let that happen? That's, oh, I can do that, Molly. Sure, what do you mean by that? By asking, if I think about this, is it going to keep the peace of God in me or is it going to cause me to get anxious? Take every thought captive to God. If the decision I'm about to do, is that going to give me peace of mind? Will I be able to go to bed tonight with a clear conscience, right? Or am I going to do something stupid and sin and then go to bed tonight and say, oh, right? So we keep the peace of let the peace of God rule in our hearts by, by taking captive every thought and every decision that we make and see, is this going to continue to give me peace of mind? Christians who live with unrepentant sin forfeit, they forfeit the experience of peace, okay? So that little cliche thing, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace, you know, that thing comes into play here. Let's wrap it up with this. We're talking about the cross. The cross is is a couple hours away now. What the cross means to humanity is everything, pretty much everything. Everything is meaningless if Christ did not die. We are justified. We're declared righteous. We have the rich blessings of salvations. It means everything to us. Christ even said, or Paul even says that he to boast He's not going to boast in anything but in the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay? But what did the cross mean to Jesus? You can hear his heart here now again. And you heard me say to you, I am going away and I'm going to come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. Be happy for me. I've longed to be for the Father. Coming here and dying on the cross is the goal of his incarnation. That is the whole reason he came, was to give his life a ransom for many. That's the whole reason he came, was to die on that cross. And now he's going to do that, and once he does that, he's going to return to the Father, back to his glory. You should be happy for me. You should rejoice with me because of this. And I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than me. This is a humbled servant, an obedient son. He longs to be with his Father. He came here out of obedience to die on that cross. And out of perfect obedience, he did it. And he's just returning back to his Father. Rejoice with me. But the disciples' self centeredness, wanting not to give him up, not understanding what's going on. The noblest love does not seek its own. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love does not seek its own. So rejoice with me. Put your, put, yeah, you're going to miss me for a while, but rejoice with me. They still don't get it. They're still struggling with all of their, all of their preconceived ideas. 
Verse 29, and I, now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. And there it is. He's telling them ahead of time, so that when it happens, oh yeah, their faith is greatly increased because he told us about that. God has told us how this world's going to end. He's told us. It might get a little better, but you know what, ladies? Don't count on it. Don't count on it. It might. It might not be the time, but, but eventually it's going to be pretty bad. But he's coming again to take us. He's coming again for us. So we know ahead of time, so we shouldn't be thrown off guard when we see these things happening out there in the world. The world hates God. We shouldn't be surprised when we're censored and all Christian stuff's being taken down. But while we have the freedom to do this, we're going to do this. And you know me, even when we don't have the freedom to do this, we're going to do this, right? (laughs) And you're all going to come, right? We're going to keep going. (laughs) So we know how it's going to end, but we're commanded to preach the gospel, to assemble together, to to be lights into a dying world to the very end. And so they struggle with this stuff, but he's telling them ahead of time so that they can know. And they knew that only God can predict the future because in Isaiah it says, Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I have now, now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Only God can do that. Predictions that Jesus made are going to come to pass. Finally, what, is his, what does the cross mean to Jesus? Victory and validation. He says, I'm no longer going to talk with you much. For the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Satan is not the legitimate ruler of... That sounds funny. He's not the legitimate ruler of this world. He's not the real president. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Sometimes those little things just hit me. (laughs) Satan is not the legitimate ruler of this world. He's not. He has been given divine permit as a usurper. God has said, you know, he's letting him, he's got him on a leash, but he's allowing him to do what he's doing, divinely permitted to be a usurper of the world system. He is the ruler of the evil world system that is in rebellion against God. And Jesus has been in conflict with Satan throughout his internal earthly life. As an infant, Satan prompted Herod to try to kill him, right? He repeatedly, Satan repeatedly attempted to kill Jesus through all these other people by inciting riots and stuff and evil men to go against him. And in a few short hours, when Jesus dies on that cross, Satan will think that he's finally succeeded at killing him. But in doing so, he will only bring about his own destruction. I love stories that have a twist like that. The cross marked Satan's ultimate defeat. He has nothing on me, Jesus said. Nothing on me, which means he could not hold him in death because he could not find any sin in him that would have condemned him to death. 
He has nothing on him. He could not make a legitimate claim against who he is. So Jesus is victorious through the cross. He is validated through the cross because his death was the ultimate proof to the world of his love for the Father because he did that because the Father told him to do that. Worldly display to humanity of his love for the Father and essentially the Father's love for us. The essential test of love is obedience, obedience to death. But ultimately, what did the cross mean to Jesus? It meant victory, it meant validation, but it also meant joy. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The cross means joy to him. There's so much in here to help us remember what it's all about. There's so many distractions out there pulling us all these different ways. But the truth is going to set us free. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Focus on this. Calm your heart down. Take every thought captive to God. He will give you all that you need to to live in the times that we live in now. To receive his comfort. To receive the peace that he has. But key to it is obedience. God, we thank you. Thank you so much that you did come. And we thank you so much. We rejoice and are glad that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. Interceding for us for every need that we have. And that you will see us through to the very end. May you be glorified. We love you. Amen.